Bonjour, dear listeners, and welcome to Defense, the conversation about defense you never knew you always wanted to have. I'm Dr. Alex Valenti, and today I'd like to explore a topic that I think gets very little media attention, well, beyond complaining about sizable budgets, and that's financing of defense research and development. And to discuss this obscure yet critical topic, I have the pleasure of having as my guest today Joshua Henry, General Delegate at Defense Angels. Hi, Joshua, and thank you so much for agreeing to participate in this new episode of the Defense Podcast. Hi, Alex. Uh, thank you very much for welcoming me. Um, so as, as you mentioned, I'm the, the General Delegate of Defense Angels, mm -hmm. uh, which is the first Euro European uh, business angels network focused on strategic technologies. Uh, we're French and we've been created in 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, and as, as I mentioned, it's the first kind of initiative in Europe, at least, uh, that is focused on uh, bringing capital for the seed and pre-seed stages of development for the the um, all the kind of strategic startups so as you uh, as you can notice we, we've got a defense uh, in our name yeah. so we're focused on military startups but we also like dual technologies and um, we have extended our uh, our applications to anything that is strategic it needs to have a link with the military but a, a startup that does i don't know five percent uh of its revenue in with military contracts it works for us so we're not that general but we we like the word strategic uh, a lot okay great well then i'm sure it will come out a lot in our conversation today and so as i was mentioning to you as we were preparing this podcast my knowledge of financing is not even zero is it's negative and you already mentioned about three words that i just wouldn't even know where to begin to explain. Um, so maybe can you explain to us a little bit more what it means, what it is that Defense Angel does in the investment and defense sector? Okay, um, so to understand what a Business Angels uh, network is, you need mm -hmm. to understand what a Business Angel is. Um, okay. Generally, when you create a startup, uh, the first kind of money you receive is called love money. Uh, so it's your closed ones. They they believe in, in the project no matter what. They will give you money uh, kind of blindly. It's blind love. Uh, they, they will give you money just because they like you. And so yeah. that's really the first kind of development. The, the uh, entrepreneur puts a bit of money. The, the family around him puts a li little bit of money. But then you turn towards more experienced entrepreneurs and investors who are going to... Um, have a little bit of uh, experience in that kind of thing, a little bit of oversight, and they will be able to guide you um, because they will have the maturity, the network, the competences, um, especially in terms of business development. And these persons are the business angels. And there are a lot of um, business angels that have decided to form networks. Uh, you have in France a lot of networks. Some of them are, are focused on regional uh, themes. So you have, for example, Provence Angels, which is focused on uh, on the, the startups based in the south of France. You have also, uh, for example, Femme Business Angels, which is focused on women business angels. You have Mère Angels, which is focused on sea startups. And, uh, and you have Defense Angels, which is one of the latest uh, Business Angels Network, and it is basically an, uh, an association of private individuals who want to invest uh, in the defense uh, in the defense sector, and 
a business angels typically invests at the very beginning of a startup a startup life. Uh, we'd say um, when a startup it's is two up to five years old. So it has already some kind of scientific proof of concept. We know that it, the technology works. It's mm -hmm. not just a PowerPoint. It's just not just slides or a concept that somebody brilliantly introduces to us with, with flashy images. It's mm -hmm. something much more than that. There's also intellectual uh, property already, but it maybe has not reached the market yet. And we're we're probably some of the first investors. Okay, so I'm wondering now at this point why you need a Defense Angels network. Was there some kind of issue in the market, some kind of problems in, in, in investing and in relating people to each other that you identified and you thought we need to create this network to facilitate money meeting startups? Yeah, we've had the chance of converging opportunities and particularly thoughts. Um, there's been a parliamentary report uh, that has been done by two members of parliament uh, around the issues of financing the the defense industry, the, the BITD, as we would, would call it in French. Um, there has been a report from the War College, the French École de Guerre, which forms a superior officer. There has been... Um, a, also research by, uh, by by some think tanks, uh, mostly Institut Montaigne in, in France. And so we've had this kind of academic um, uh, abolition uh, of thoughts. And all of a sudden, um, François Matins, which used to work for the the defense industry, and Guy Gourevitch, who was the, the leader of the big federation of French business angels, um, they decided that it could be something uh, potentially very interesting, but the parliamentary report already mentioned a defense uh, business angels network. So did the War College report. And so this kind of initiative, it was, it, it became kind of natural. We just needed to find the right persons to do it. And Guy and Francois were, were the persons with the right experience in the defense industry for Francois and in the finance world for, for Guy. And so, all of this combined into this, uh, this what I would call an amazing initiative that uh, that my task is to develop on a day-to-day -day basis. So exactly, I'm, I'm glad you you ended your answer on this. Uh, what what does it mean? What is your task exactly then? What do you do in the middle of this? In in the middle of this, my task is well, I've got a purely organizational task, which is. Uh, my, my job is to find business angels and startups, so I want to bring them. The more startups I have, the more I can kind of sort them out. We, we've got a sorting committee with people with a lot of experience in defense or in finance, but the more startups we have, uh, the better the ones we sort are. And on the other hand, I also need to uh, find some investors because the more investors we have, the more impact we may have on um, on financing and the more impact we may have on a particular start, a startup that we will decide to invest. And on the other hand, my job is also to um, to raise awareness about the situation of the uh, of the financing chain in the defense industry. And it's also um, it's also something that we love to discuss. We've been uh, in uh, in, uh, for example, Euro Satori, Euro Naval, etc. To start chatting with all these kind of actors. We, we've given some conferences at ESUDN, et cetera, to, to spread, spread the message that things are not as bright as they seem, despite the Ukrainian conflict. 
um, and that we need to start putting some money in the defense industry because there are a lot of things at stake, the, the f first of them being uh, our sovereignty and our independence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. There's a, there's definitely a, an issue. It sounds in terms of getting money. I mean, we know the primes are getting you know they they're used. They know how the how everything functions. So they they know how to get the funding from the government and do their projects. Even though even them sometimes they do their own research and development privately financed. But so my question, I guess, is. Why do we have an issue in, in, in having all this money to finance the startups? Are there barriers to financing startups? Are there hangups that people may have in terms of financing defense startups more specifically? Absolutely. Absolutely. Many people uh, have a very poor image of the defense industry because they do not yet realize that uh, a free and safe area is a secure one. And in that regard, we will need the defense sector. Um, we, we're not throwing flowers, uh, or we're not exactly throwing flowers at the Russian um, in Ukraine right now. And this should show the imperative that fighting for democracy necessarily entails fighting and necessarily entails to be prepared. And the work of some activists and NGOs um, has been uh, to completely boycott some investment in the defense sector. And following this, you've had, for example, many pension funds, so huge, huge, huge financiers uh, that have decided that they would build an exclusion list, a list of things they would never finance. Okay. In that list, there are things such as pornography, mm -hmm. uh, tobacco, there are also gambling sites, mm -hmm. and defense. Right. And so sadly, the defense kind of suffers this boycott, especially in financing. And it, all, it is also the case with banks. Banks have started uh, to, to just not accept the opening of, of bank accounts for some, some defense startups. There are the cases of um, bigger companies. Uh, Dasso, for example, has, um, and by the end of 2022, has put out a, a, press, a press statement and the, the PDG, uh, the CEO of uh, Dassault, Eric Trapier, has written an open letter to the, the, the French minister, Sébastien Lecornu, saying that no bank would actually accept um, the wire of funds uh, for the uh, Saudi Arabian deal on the, the French Rafale fighters, which means right. that they, they, they had this government-sponsored contract because the, the, the sales of Rafale is necessarily sponsored by France and particularly the Élysée, and nobody wanted to accept uh, the, the transfer of funds to be placed in that in, in the French bank. And it was a complete, for, for some people, it was a complete revelation, but we knew that. And we know that if it happens for Dassault, it happens for the startups, which have way less lawyers, way less connections and way less sponsor for, from the French government. And so this kind, of, this kind of issue creates a need for investment in the defense sector. And if this need is not uh, fulfilled domestically, by French investors, by French pension funds, by French banks, it will be fulfilled by foreign investors. And then we have a very huge problem of technological sovereignty because we see uh, at our level, which is pre-seed and seed, we see some investors which are, for example, American, which are British, but in some cases they're Chinese, in some cases they're Russian, and they come and they just enjoy they, they, it's for them it's sales because 
nobody wants to nobody wants to finance those kind of startups and those startups are actually developed by French entrepreneurs who've been trained at French elite universities. I'd say, for example, Polytechnique or Centrale. They have a, a family in France. They have a house in France. Um, their technology technology may be sponsored by by French public um, public institutions. For example, I think about uh, CEA, Commissariat à l'énergie atomique. Mm-hmm. And if the French uh, the French investment uh, doesn't fit. They, they will just go somewhere else, sadly, because once you've put your, your personal money in it, when, once your close ones have put their personal money in it, you might not be necessarily uh, wanting to bet your house on, uh, on on the fact that France will at some point uh, save you. And the case with the Photonis or Exilia have shown that mm-hmm. it is very complicated for France to, to really be aware of the impact of technological sovereignty, especially when the end client is uh, the, the, the French army. And so the investors have got this kind of message that France might not be exactly there to, to help them finance this technology. So at, at some point, you either, you, you either lose your house. It, it's a, it's, it's of, of course, it's not necessarily true. It's generally mm-hmm. not true. But you lose at least your company. You lose everything that you've spent so much time and money building or you go somewhere else. And for some, they decide to go somewhere else. And this is the biggest issue of them all. It's the fact that we're losing a lot of technology and a lot of brilliant engineers because because nobody wants to finance the defense industry. I won't say nobody. We're proving that it is starting to happen. But sadly, there's a huge... Uh, there, there's a huge public disapproval of that, this kind of initiatives. And, uh, and, and we're kind of trying to spread the message. Right. So quite a few rather scary points that you've made there. Um, the one that I kind of wanted to come back to um, for myself, but also for some of the listeners who may not be well versed into finance and or defense. When you say that there's a loss of sovereignty, I mean, how does it work? Like if I if I'm a French startup and I have, say, the scariest scenario, like a Russian or a Chinese wanting to invest into my technology, does that mean that they're investing in the technology, but the technology stays in France. And so they know what's going on with our technology and they're privy to very, very, what would be actually secret information or that technology then moves to China and Russia and it becomes their technology and we're not taking advantage of it in France. It's going to be the second case because oh uh, the, the French DGA hopefully does a lot of background search, actually mm-hmm. does, um, and it always checks that uh, the, the startup is at least French or European. And if it's a Chinese startup, everybody knows that we're going to have some problems of sovereignty with that, uh, that information disclosure is going to be huge with, uh, with, the, with the Chinese. And so um, this startup will therefore not be able to have the French army as a client and might therefore uh, just move out of the country. And uh, we're not going to have some Trojan horses through mm-hmm. this kind of investment, but we will definitely be losing technologies and entrepreneurs, which once they've been bought out, they just uh, they just leave. And we, we I, I think we should probably at some point do some statistics about French entrepreneurs in the Silicon Valley because it is the kind of same, same kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. it, there, there's been the the this huge uh, gather round in Las Vegas for the technologies. Um, I think I. I forgot the name of that one, and uh, 
it's just basically sales for American investors. They come up, they look at French startups, and they go, well, I'm going to invest in that. And the startup just doesn't stay in France anymore, and everybody goes out to live the American dream. But at some point, we will be ending uh, with either no technology, those, uh, the, the um, inability to act, I would say, for example, uh, on a on a military uh, or operational level, because we will not be having the technology, or we will be relying on foreign technology, which is also a sovereignty problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, okay, so we've talked a lot about the problems, and you've you've made very clear um, that one of the issues is, as we suspected, the image that def- defense has. So. Is there, since we're talking about all this also in the in the context of sustainability and and, um, and sustainable development goals, is there value in actually acting there in in um, in making defense a sustainable development goal? Can that help? Is that something anyone, the UN, the EU, France is looking into? I would say that generally um, international institutions do not necessarily help in that regard. Um, the the European European Union mm-hmm. has uh, has kind of taken an anti defense stance at some point, which is kind of uh, a paradox since mm-hmm. there are a lot of European initiatives for um, Euro- European defense projects, the next generation fighter being one. But on the other hand, there, there's been this kind of taxonomy project which um, aims and and it's it, it's amazing. Let, let, let's face it, it's great that we have some sustainable uh, development goals, in, especially in investment, it's great that we need to push, um, that we will push the the European companies to act on, on this kind of level. And the defense industry also needs to, to, to take into account these, um, all, all these kind of goals because some, some of the companies actually do not reach do not actually reach sustainable development goals. But on the other hand, uh, what has been the message, particularly from the EU, is that defense will categorically be excluded from all kind of sustainable, um, all kind of sustainable initiative, all kind of sustainable financing, and it has uh, it has been excluded from this taxonomy project, which aims at valuing. Um, valuing all kinds of sustainable initiatives on financial markets. And therefore, defense has been, as I mentioned, for the pension funds, which they have this exclusionary list. Well, they do base themselves of the European Union and the messages it sends to the financial markets. And the message it sends uh, to the financial markets is one that uh, defense is bad and defense needs to be placed with, uh, with pornography, with all this kind of bad and socially reprehensible uh, companies, and therefore, uh, therefore, there is this huge fight that needs to be that, that needs to be conducted at the European level because we've got some some luck in France is that the the, the Ministère des Armées, the the MOD, ha- knows the topic, knows it is a crucial one. Uh, French President Emmanuel Macron mentioned it. Um, mm-hmm last year in its uh, strategic national review that we needed to take into account the fact that European taxonomy would actually uh, not cause some loss, but would also impede our financial investments in the defense sector. 
but it it needs to be taken at the European level. And they also need to understand that, yes, a free Europe, a democratic Europe is a safe and secure one and that we cannot we, we, we cannot basically just exclude uh, all kind of financial products because they would be for the defense industry. This is this is this is the worst kind of ways we can do it. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm surprised and a little bit shocked by a few of the things that you said, because the European Union has a European defense agency. So you would think that, you know, they'd, they'd be aware, as you said, that you can't have free um, Europe and, 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 and a sustainable Europe without having a safe Europe. So what you're saying effectively is that at least at the moment, although we can come back to this, I think I had seen somewhere that Europe might be moving towards re-including, or including actually, because it never happened before, including defense in the sustainable development goal. But at the moment, it's excluded it. And so it's sending this message to everyone, even private investors, that no, you shouldn't, not necessarily you shouldn't, it might not be forbidding, but we're not encouraging this. Yes, um, the, the 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 actual project, the the rough draft of the mm -hmm. project, mm -hmm. uh, plans to exclude any company uh, that does more than five percent of its revenues uh, in all sorts of military equipment sales. From that on, it it has not yet be been placed into law or any kind of European regulation. But from then on, you create some kind of message mm -hmm. that um, that the defense sector will be. Uh, something financially not reprehensible, but will be something that will be less financially um, profitable. Message in finance is key. Y you've seen some companies lose 10, 15, 20, 25, or, or up to 50% of their financial value um, just because at some point the markets got the wrong wrong kind of message. And in, current, in, in our current era, we, we've seen, for example, fake news destroy destroy value, destroy the financial value of, for example, Vinci in mm -hmm. 2016, mm -hmm. which uh, was the victim of a hoax and, uh, and lost a few billions of financial values just just because of uh, some kind of single fake news because it sent the wrong kind of message to investors. And when it's a hoax published by, by, some, uh, by someone random on the internet, it makes somebody lose a few billions. When it's the European Union saying we will be excluding defense from the the European taxonomy, it, it is it is completely cat catastrophic because all of a sudden all European companies are going to lose financial val valuation because everybody is going to think Ooh, the EU is excluding them, which means that they will be less pro profitable. There will be less financial incentives compared to all sorts of other companies which will be reaching the sustainable goals. And in that regard, I will not be invest investing in the defense industry. So first of all, there will not be uh, an incentive to invest in the defense industry, which means less financing, which is kind of already the case since the message has already been sent to the financial markets. And on the other hand, the companies are going to, are going to be worth less, which means that they will be less able to develop, less able to thrive, and there will also be less incentives for, for entrepreneurs to go uh, into the def defense sector because uh, if one product could be applied for civilian uses or military uses, he will know that if it goes uh, purely civilian, 
his company is going to be worth much more money than if he goes military. And at some point, he's just going to 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 think, well, I I could probably I I, I will um I will exaggerate a bit, but if my company is worth double if I don't do military, well, I won't do military. I will stay on civilian, mm-hmm. and then we will again have some kind of technological and sovereignty issue with that, because. Because the message is sense. The, the message is really the key in understanding financial markets. For example, we've seen banks crash, and a lot of economists have have done some research uh, on that. It's the banks crash because of bank run. All of a sudden, everybody thinks that the bank is going to collapse, so everybody is going to withdraw their money. Mm. So the bank collapses, mm. and it is all a question of message. But when it's sent by the European Union, then it is the the worst kind of message we can send. And it's also the worst kind of message we can send for European defense projects because the French industrial actors, on one side, the European Union asks them to contribute to European projects, the next generation fighter, for example, or the main ground combat system. But on the other hand, also tells them, well, sorry, guys, but when you're going to when you're going to need some financement, uh, we're not going to be OK with that. We're going to exclude that from our sustainable goals, and it's going to be harder for you guys to find investors, and it's going to uh, also make your company undervalued. So it, it, it is, it, it is probably uh, the the biggest paradox of European defense policies at the moment. Uh, yes, yes, paradox is uh, it's definitely a good word for it. So how you know I I did a little poll on LinkedIn asking the. Uh, the audience, what they would be interested in uh, in finding out also from this little chat of ours. So how do you at Defense Angels sort of try and to address this issue? I mean, how do you also work on the message? Do you also try and reach out to people, the people who come to you? I assume uh, they, they're already interested in defense, but do you also reach out to people who could be, aren't yet? What do you do? We try, uh, as I mentioned, we try to spread awareness um, in the general public, in in general media, for example, um, François has recently published uh, an op-ed in La Tribune just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. I've published an article in uh, Servir, which is the um, the newspaper for French high civil servants uh, who've done uh, ENA or now it's called I- INSP. We- we're trying to start to raise awareness in in more generalist media because the defense sphere is now aware of it. We, we've done, and Francois mostly has done a tremendous job of going to see everyone. I, I've been, uh, I, I've went to see some MPs, some members of parliament to to kind of spread the message. Some of them, uh, for example, Jean-Louis Thierryot has already written some report on it. So they, they're fully aware of this kind of situation. Um, but it's true that uh, the, the, there is a lot of work to be done. And um, it, it also goes through um, through regulation. And one of the things we're trying to implement is to actually financially value financing defense startups. And we're trying to to help. There is a, there is a law in France called the Loi Madeleine, which uh, entails a fiscal deduction of somebody who invests in startups, general startups. It is a tiny reduction, but it is it, it is something that investors consider nonetheless and what we're aiming at is to have a bigger fiscal deduction if the the startup that the investor is financing is a defense startup because when we see defense investors um most of them is that 
they find purpose in that kind of investment. They might not have done um, uh, military service. They might not. Some some of our investors are, are French army officers, but they might not have served at some point. They might not have touched the defense sector by, by one mean or, or another at some point, but they do find more more sense in financing the defense industry, more patri- patriotic sense than, I don't know, buying buying a flat in Paris and renting it out or, or buying Bitcoin. And in that regard, it is, uh, it is our, I think it is our most important project is we need to financially value investing in the defense sector because it is not just any sector it is a sovereign one it is a strategic one and it is one that we will be needed especially when the french president himself is talking about a war economy last year he talked about a war economy well then let's let's help the people contribute let's help private investors contribute and let's create some incentives for them to do so instead of sending out the wrong kind of message through public institutions such as the EU. And that is our most important fight. And that is the one uh, we we keep on fighting uh, on a day-to-day basis. It it is to tell people, come, we need your money. It is not, it is not volunteering. Your money will be profitable at some point. It is, it is venture capital. So it is risky. So just like any startup investor, you might lose it all, or it might become a unicorn. But it is investing just like in any other startup, just like in any other financial asset. But in this asset, you're also um, you're also directly financing France's ability to fight for freedom, to fight for democracy, for the EU to fight for freedom, for democracy, and for all of us to have an independent country. Because, for example, France in 2003 decided not to participate in the American operation in Iraq. Okay, amazing. It is great for us not um, not not to have some kind of American uh, imperative on let's follow them or let's not follow them. Mm-hmm. We we took this decision as an independent and sovereign country. At that point, uh, what the American industry decided to do is to cut out all of its uh, armament exports to uh, the French defense industry. Uh, French General Henri Bantéja. Uh, which uh, which had some very high responsibilities at, at that time. I believe mm-hmm. he was chief of staff for the the the, the French presidential cabinet, the military mm-hmm. cabinet. Um, said that around ninety seven percent of our equipment was fine, but some key crucial equipment, such as for example uh, catapults, airplane catapults on the the, the French uh, carrière strike group uh, Charles de Gaulle, yeah. so some of its components were American. In around six months, if that had uh, kept on going, uh, in around six months, the the French carrier uh, group Charles de Gaulle would just have been some kind of um, floating football, uh, floating football stadium. If if a French aircraft carrier cannot uh, actually launch aircraft, it's just worthless. And this shows how much having our, our own industrial and technological sovereignty actually helps us take the decisions we want to take and not being able um, to take sovereign decisions, to take independent decisions, especially on this kind of strategic and operational level, which is the decision to involve or not the French army in a geopolitical crisis is the essence of sovereignty. 
it's the essence of democracy. And if we would, do not want our hands tied, we will need uh, to, to remain uh, independent. And we will need to take into account the fact that if we do not invest in defense, the other countries will. And if they yeah. invest in our defense, at some point, our hands will be tied. And there we will have a huge, huge, huge problem. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're talking about the aircraft carrier and um, it's, it makes me think that we somehow learn from history, but not entirely because the next generation aircraft carrier will have American electromagnetic launch uh, system. But uh, anyway, this is, a, this is for a whole different conversation. And um, well, for today, unfortunately, that's all the time we had. But uh, Joshua, it's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you. And I know we could have gone on for so much longer. Uh, maybe there will be questions from the audience and we can explore them in another um, instance of this podcast. But in any case, thank you so much for your time today. And um, let's see how this evolved. And good luck with, uh, with trying to spread the right message out there that we need defense. Well, thank you very much for, for welcoming me. Thank you very much for, for the time you, you've taken for preparing this podcast and, and asking all, the, all, all those very interesting questions. Of course, I could go on and on and on for hours <laughs> because it, it is a deeply uh, fascinating topic. It is one that is, um, I wouldn't say hard to understand, but it is one that is complex and that I uh, already do, do not fully understand yet. And <laughs> I, I think I, I need at least 15 to 20 years uh, uh, j just to get a good oversight of everything that happens but it was a it was yeah a, an absolute pleasure on my side as well to to exchange with you and i hope that your audience will be uh, interested and will have as many questions uh, as possible i will be glad to answer them all thank you very much alex so there you have it folks as a europhile i have to admit that i'm now quite puzzled by the european commission's ambivalent messages on defense and sustainability so, if this conversation has raised as many questions for you as it did for me, then please don't hesitate to share them on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or any other social media you may be using to follow the Defense Podcast. And then who knows, they may just be enough for a follow-up episode. So, don't forget to spread the word to anyone who might be interested in this episode or podcast. And until next time, au revoir et à bientôt.